Greetings, fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 16 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad, and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I've discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for tuning into the show today. I really appreciate you taking time out of your lives to ride along on our Gaming Wildlands expedition. A warm welcome to you returning Wildlanders and to you newcomers as well. The Retro Wildlands are best explored and enjoyed with a full expedition party, and the more we have, the merrier. Before everyone gets settled though, my dogs Dee Dee and Dexter will be making the rounds, so please present your hands for your obligatory sniffing. One of you lucky listeners will be the winner of an opportunity to give Dee Dee a 3-5 to five second belly rub. Now you don't want to do it too softly, but you don't want to do it too hard either. Just watch for his eyes to roll back ever so slightly, and look for his left leg to start twitching ever so softly. That's the sweet spot right there. Oh yeah, little boy loves that, doesn't he? Oh, he loves that. <laughs> if you think any of this is unorthodox, well, you're not wrong. But. I don't question the canine leader of our expedition, and neither should you. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a video game I have to assume we've all played or have at least heard of in some capacity. Even if you don't play video games, there's a very good chance that you know Sonic the Hedgehog. Arguably one of the best games on the Sega Genesis, and one of the best games of the era, was Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which is the subject of our episode today. I don't know what it's like for all of you specifically, but when I think of Sonic 2, my mind goes back to the simpler times of my childhood. I think about the times that I visit my dad and play Sonic 2 for hours and hours with the family, and I'd think about those feelings of accomplishment that I felt when I completed the game, or when I found all the Chaos Emeralds and just shit-stomped over everything. I also think about the times that I tried to ditch Tails because my nine-year-old self saw him as nothing but an annoying liability. Sonic 2 is a game that I've played so much, I can play it in my mind, and I suspect that's how it is for many of you. Go ahead, just try it now. Close your eyes. That is, unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery, of course. I'll bet while your eyes are closed and you're thinking about it, you can picture what Sonic looks like. You can picture the opening of the Emerald Hill Zone with the bright greens and blues. You can even picture and hear the sounds that you hear when you pick up rings, when you jump, when you crouch down and charge up your spin dash over and over, and that sound when you just let it loose. Ah, doesn't it feel nice just letting that dopamine trickle all throughout your body? That's nice. That feeling right there is what I'm hoping today's episode is going to be like for everyone. We're going to speed through what I consider to be one of the greatest games of all time, and I'm hoping I trigger some awesome nostalgic memories for you all while we do it. Now before we start injecting that sweet, sweet nostalgia directly into our veins, I want to take a few minutes and give you all a peek behind the scenes here at the Retro Wildlands so you can get an idea of how the show itself is going, what might be coming up on future episodes, and anything else I might be working on for the show or getting myself into. I like to be transparent, and I love receiving it in return, so I wanted to do like some of my favorite podcasts and give you all a look behind the curtains. If this doesn't sound interesting to you at all, no worries, just skip ahead about five to seven minutes. I should have loaded timestamps into the show description as well, so if you don't feel like messing around with that little slider doohickey thing on your phone, just check that out and you'll know exactly where you need to go to get to the Sonic 2 conversation. So this upcoming weekend is going to be a pretty fun one for me, I think. At the age of 38, I'm finally going to my very first gaming expo. Now those of you that know me in real life, I tend to be outspoken more than I'm not, but I'm someone who doesn't really gravitate towards things like conventions or really big crowds. But I've always wanted to go to an expo or a bigger convention, and god damn it, this year was going to be the year. So this weekend, I'm heading to Columbus, Ohio for the 9th annual Torg Gaming Expo. What is Torg and why am I going there specifically? There was just a point back in May of this year that I really wanted to go to an expo, and this was the closest one geographically that was coming up. Simple as that. 
I don't know much about Torg's history or anything like that, but it's a one-day event, and it looks like it's going to be a fantastic time. There's going to be some special guests there that I'm pretty excited about, including the immortal John Hancock and Radical Reggie. Brett Weiss is also going to be on hand as well, and I follow these gentlemen on YouTube, and they have various content out there about retro and modern gaming, and I find them pretty entertaining and engaging, so I'm really looking forward to meeting them in person and getting to know them a little bit if I can. I'm also very eager to see what games or other things that I can find at all the vendor booths. I'm hoping to knock some items off my physical game wishlist. But more than anything, I'm excited to just be surrounded by my fellow nerds for a whole day. My wife is coming along with me, and it's going to be awesome having her there while I geek out about the games that I played, or some of the memories I'm sure are going to bubble up to the surface this weekend. I can't wait to tell you all about it, too. If you want to get the scoop, you can follow the show over on social media. I'm still not the savviest with social media, but I'm going to try and share some posts this weekend during the event, so it should be pretty cool. If you want to see my weekend gaming expo adventures, or you just want to follow the show in general, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at Retro Wildlands. These are the best places to check out what's happening, what's potentially coming up, and get a nice dose of gaming goodness for your timelines and your feeds. It's also the best way to interact with me personally, so if you ever wanted to give me feedback on the show or just chit-chat, you can hit me up over there. Plus, if you ever had a question or a comment you want to have answered or read on the show during the show's intro, I make a call-out for those every weekend on social media. No obligation, I just wanted to give the opportunity to anyone who wanted to interact with the show more directly in case you didn't want to just be a lurker. I've gotten a couple messages from various people already, so thank you to anyone who has already taken the time to reach out to me directly. I'm really enjoying that there are people out there giving this little project of mine a chance. I meant what I said earlier, the Wildlands are better with a big expedition of people, and it warms my heart that we're growing little by little every week. Now speaking of which, while this is my project, the Wildlands are ours to explore. If there's a game that you'd like to have me play or replay for the show and have an episode dedicated to it, all you have to do is just let me know. So far, the most fun that I've been having is just going back to games that I've played back in the day, but also finally getting around to the games that I know I've missed or finally getting to games that I've been meaning to discover. Feel free to hit me up with suggestions or thoughts on episodes. I do have a list of games I already plan to cover on the show, but if I do do an episode based on a game that you suggest, I will certainly give you a huge shout-out on the show. I've already covered a few games on the podcast that were suggested by the community, and it would be really cool to keep adding to that list. As far as the show itself goes, not too much to report other than we're just a couple downloads away from cracking 300 downloads across all episodes. I always thought that number would be no higher than one or two, but 300 is just simply amazing to me. I really want to thank all of you that have given the show a listen up to this point. I also wanted to shout out the couple listeners who have popped up over in Colombia and the United Kingdom. I think that's been something that blows my mind the most. I'm just a 38-year-old husband and stepdad working a full-time office job, living in Ohio who loves video games, and there's people all over America and on other sides of the planet that are listening to the show. That's still pretty damn amazing to me. So here's hoping we continue to spread, my friends. Alright, I don't think I have much more than that this week, so we're going to go ahead and jump right in. It's time to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog 2 for the Sega Genesis. Released on November 21st, 1992 in North America, players take control of Sonic, a blue hedgehog who can run as fast as the wind and who comes equipped with a too-cool-for-school attitude. The evil Dr. Robotnik is up to no good as he starts to enslave our woodland friends so he can build a robot army to help him construct the Death Egg, or the Not Death Star, a massive battle station that will be at the center of Robotnik's plans for world domination. It's up to Sonic to rescue his friends, collect the seven Chaos Emeralds, and oust the bad doctor for good. 
So lace up your super sneakers, grab a handful of rings, and don't forget our pal Tails. It's time to speed forward towards adventure and glory as we attempt to save the world and look damn cool while we do it. was younger, I grew up with Nintendo. About a year or so ago, I found myself cleaning out the attic, and I'm sure just like most of you do, I hit a hard stop when I came across a box of something that was long forgotten. What I found in the box was a bunch of my mom's old belongings. In the box, there was a small pile of photo albums. I took them out of the box, wiped the dust off of them, and I took a seat on the floor of the attic. One by one, I flipped through the pages and took a wonderful trip down memory lane. I was born in 1984, and seeing my mom and dad dressed in the fashion at the time made me smile. Oh, how far we have come. There were your typical family photos and photos of birthday parties and holidays. And then I came across a photo that made me raise an eyebrow. It was a photograph of a two-year-old me sitting in the middle of the living room floor in nothing but my underwear. The carpet looked brown and was that sort of shag carpet that you used to see way back in the day. On the floor with me was a smaller television set. I couldn't quite make out what was on the screen, but what caught my attention was what I was holding in my hand. I had to pull the photo a little closer to my face to make it out. It took me a second, but then I recognized it. A little silver rectangle with two red circles on it. It was a Nintendo controller, no doubt about it. (laughs) I remember chuckling a little when I was sitting up in the attic. There I was. I started playing video games way earlier in life than I originally thought. When I was a couple years older, I would spend a decent amount of time at my grandmother's house. She also had a Nintendo, and I can recall a couple fun memories playing games at her house. At first, the Nintendo was hooked up in her living room, and I would play games like Super Mario Bros. and Duck Hunt. I was the kid that sat as close to the screen as I could to blast those damn devil ducks, but I think it was my grandpa who kept having to have me scooch back. I also remember playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in that living room as well. I was in love with the cartoon, and I used to play that game over and over. Anyone remember that gem? Specifically that underwater level where you had to defuse the bombs within a certain time limit, and there was all this electrified seaweed or whatever the fuck it was? (laughs) And don't you worry, we'll be covering that game here on the podcast in due time. Now after this time, I would eventually graduate to a Super Nintendo, then eventually to the Sony PlayStation. So needless to say, I was not a Sega kid growing up. However, I did have access to a Sega Genesis when I was little, at least for a little while. Way back when I was young, my parents divorced and I went on to live with my mom. I did still visit my dad on occasion over the years, and dad had gotten a hold of the Genesis pretty much right after it launched back in 1989. I don't have a ton of memories with the Genesis, but I remember playing a decent amount of Mortal Kombat, and I even gave ToeJam and Earl a try for all of 10 minutes or so. Hell, I even tried my hand at Shaq Fu a time or two. But like I assume many other kids who had a Genesis, I spent the most time playing Sonic the Hedgehog. Specifically, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I cannot tell you how many countless hours I have put into this game. Whenever I'd come to visit my dad, I'd always find my way to the Genesis to see how far I could get into the game. I was always drawn in by how colorful the game was, how smooth the gameplay experience always seemed to be, and the game had one of the most memorable soundtracks in the history of... of ever. I would always find myself humming it. 
But more than anything, I was mesmerized by how fast this game was. When Sonic would get to top speeds, the Sega never faltered or never chugged along. It was all just simply magic to me, and I couldn't get enough of it. And when I figured out how I could become Super Sonic and make him go even faster, I made that my mission. I'm going to assume most, if not all of you, have either heard of Sonic 2 or you've had the pleasure of playing it yourself. But tradition dictates that we start at the beginning and work our way outwards. So, what is this game? Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is a side-scrolling platformer where we take control of Sonic, a hedgehog with the ability to run at blazing fast speeds and who attacks his enemies by curling into a little ball. The storyline for Sonic 2 is a rather dire one. Sonic's fellow animal friends are starting to disappear. In their place, Sonic finds robots are starting to show up all over the island that Sonic calls home. It's quickly determined that this has to be the one and only Dr. Robotnik, mad scientist extraordinaire's doing. But this goes far beyond Robotnik turning all of Sonic's animal friends into robots. Robotnik is planning something big, and he needs workers to realize his sinister dreams. He's using his newly created robot army to help him build his ultimate weapon, the Death Egg. Not to be confused with the Death Star, mind you. Robotnik now controls numerous factories, refineries, and cities. He's taken control of just about everything under everyone's noses somehow, but the one thing Robotnik does not have is the seven Chaos Emeralds. The Chaos Emeralds are said to contain exceptional powers, and if Robotnik were to get his hands on them, he would be able to rule the world with an iron fist. It's up to us as Sonic to stop Robotnik's plans, free his woodland friends, and set the world right. It's going to take a bit of speed, a little bit of attitude, and a hell of a lot of gold rings to get this job done. But if we want to do this job right... It probably wouldn't hurt to see if we can find some of those Chaos Emeralds along the way while we're at it. Just as the instruction booklet says, only one tough dude with spiky hair has the speed to find them first. Now Sonic isn't making this journey alone this time. Enter Miles Per Hour, the fox. All the animals call him Tails, though, because he's a fox with two tails. Ever since Tails was a baby fox, he's always dreamed of being like Sonic. Once he was able to walk, Tails would run after Sonic in an effort to try and catch up with his hero. A lot of times, though, Sonic likes to show off, and he'll explode into a burst of speed and leave poor Tails behind in a cloud of dust. What a dick move, right? But that doesn't deter Tails. He'll whirl his two tails around like a helicopter, and he'll take off after Sonic until he eventually catches up with him. Eventually, Tails learns how to do a super spin attack like Sonic. With that, he's one step closer to being just like his hero. So when Sonic sets off on his mission to maim, torture, and kill Dr. Robotnik, so when Sonic sets off on his mission to free the animals, find the Chaos Emeralds, and defeat Robotnik, Tails goes along for the ride. Now, oddly enough, I have never played the original Sonic the Hedgehog, but from what I've read about it online, Sonic 2 is considered to be an improvement over the original in pretty much every way when it comes to graphics, performance, and gameplay. Having Tails along with you in this game serves a few different purposes. He's not just with you for show. He's there to help you by defeating enemies, collecting rings, and potentially screwing up so bad in the bonus stages that you'll be thinking of ways to get rid of him any chance you get. Pardon me though, I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's start a one-player game and start the journey with Sonic together, and explore a little bit of the game world, shall we? As soon as we press start, we begin our journey in the Emerald Hill Zone. Right off the bat, it's not hard to stare in awe at the beautiful graphics. In just about a month, it will be 30 years ago that Sonic 2 was released on the Genesis, and I argue that it continues to be one of the best-looking games to this day. 
When the level starts, we're met with a beautiful blue skyline and a view of a vast blue ocean. The sunshine sparkles off the horizon, and the lush green grass rounds it all out. Then the music kicks in, and we're ready to go. Pressing right on the directional pad moves Sonic in that direction, and Tails follows right on Sonic's heels. We come across an area we can jump on that has one of the game's first power-ups that we can take. We jump up and we also find our very first enemy. High up in the tree hangs a robot badnik monkey the instruction manual calls Coconuts. True to his name, Coconuts starts dropping coconuts down upon our heroes. Well, it is certainly going to take more than that to stop us. Pressing either A, B, or C on the Genesis controller makes Sonic jump. When he jumps, he automatically turns himself into a ball and initiates his super spin attack. All it takes is one hit from the spin attack, and that badnik is toast. As a nice little touch, the blue little birdie that had become that robot badnik is freed, and we see it fall to the ground and scamper off. That is nice. Now looking over to our left, we have the super item all to ourselves. The image on the side is a sort of blue orb looking thing. And side note, was it just me or did anyone else feel like these little power-up containers looked like little mini TVs? I'm hoping it wasn't just me. But anyway, we jump up and we crack it open. All right, we have a shield. This will protect us from one hit by the nasties. We continue to the right and come across a wooden bridge. As we cross, two fish robot looking things jump up and try to take a bite right out of us. But we are just too fast of course, and when we jump, we land on one, and then we land on the other, and that is that. Hell yeah, suck on that fish. As we continue on, we keep grabbing all the gold rings that we can carry. Surely these will come in handy later. There's an area further ahead where we come across our first branching path. There's a gap on the path where we can jump down and continue on the path below, or we can hop the gap and stay up top. Without really thinking, we take the path below. As we let ourselves fall to the area below, we spot a red spring-looking thing stuck into the wall to the left. I wonder what that does, we wonder to ourselves as we fall towards it. And right as we fall next to it, we get our answer. Holy shit, we are moving fast! Oh my god, this is awesome! The sheer speed at which Sonic moves after being propelled by a springboard never ceases to amaze me. As a kid, and even as an adult today, there's something about it that just gives me a drip of adrenaline each time we go to supersonic speeds. It always impressed me how there was no slowdown in the game engine at all, and everything just seemed so seamless. Everything zipped by so fast, and Sonic was moving his feet so quick that his legs looked like little helicopter blades, just a big ol' blur. If there was even a doubt I was going to have fun with this game, forget about it. I was all in. And everything that I just described happens in the first 25 seconds of the very first level. Ah, what a rush. Okay, before we blow our entire load of adrenaline, let's take a bit to unpack a few things. Like I mentioned before, the presentation on offer here is beyond on point. The way Sonic himself is shaded, he gives off a glint of 3D. And speaking of 3D, some of the stages have some 3D elements to them as well. Not too much further ahead of where we left off in Emerald Hill, we'll find a corkscrew path that Sonic can run over as long as he's running at top speed. Not only does the path itself act 3D based on how it's rendered, but Sonic himself interacts with the corkscrew perfectly. These things, along with the several loop-de-loops, are amongst the most fun to be had when you traverse the world. As you speed your way across the landscape, you'll see a ton of gold rings that you can collect. These rings serve many purposes, and you should do your best to collect as many as possible. Plus, doesn't that noise when you collect them just hit that dopamine button in your brain just perfectly? So the most important thing having rings on you does is protect Sonic from dying. As long as you have at least one ring on you, 
hitting an enemy won't cause you to lose a life, but any rings that you do have on you will go flying. When this happens, you should try to grab as many of them as possible before they bounce away and disappear on you. Of course, you should only do this when it's safe. You don't want to try to grab a lost ring, overcompensate, and ultimately lose your life, now do you? When you collect a hundred of them, you'll gain an extra life, and that is always a bonus. You'll get an additional life if you snag another hundred as well. I think the most I've ever had on me at one time was just a hair over 200 rings. It's funny though, I would remember cycling through different feelings the more rings I collected. When I would only have a couple of rings, I played the game pretty fast and I played it pretty loose. I wouldn't think too much about where I was going, and I would take some risks here and there. However, the more rings I carried, I started to get more cautious and I'd slow down Sonic considerably. Everything felt more dangerous, and there was no way I was going to lose my horde of rings. I started to feel like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, slowly corrupted by the ring's powers and resentful of everything. I am not much of a game rager by any stretch of the imagination, but man, when I'd lose over a hundred rings because some asshole badnik robot somehow managed to touch me, it is the worst. Plus, if you were into getting as high a score as possible, you wanted a pile of rings when you finished a stage. It increases your score pretty quick. Anytime you're able to score 100,000 points, you'll be rewarded with a continue that you can use in the event you lose all your lives. Those rings are like gold, literally, and you cannot have too many of those. Now, arguably the most important purpose rings serve in Sonic 2 is that they act as the keys you need to access the bonus stages. Throughout each level, you'll find these star posts. When you zoom past one, the star wigwags to save your position. Honestly, I don't know what wigwag means, but that's just what the instruction manual says. But really, the post spins and makes a sound and starts to flash. Basically, it's a checkpoint. If you lose a life later in the level, you'll be brought back to the last star post that you use so you don't have to start the whole level over from scratch. And that's a pretty neat feature, I thought. But what's even neater is what happens if you activate a star post when you have 50 or more rings in your hedgehog pockets. Above the star post, a star circle will open up above it. If you jump into the star circle, you'll enter the bonus stage. Now since we're here, let's dive into the bonus stage and see what this thing is all about. We are taken out of the 3D side-scrolling world and transported into a 3D space where Sonic and Tails' backs are to us and they're running forward down a 3D chute. Now if you've ever wanted to get the most out of your Sonic 2 experience, the bonus stages are where it's at. The rules here are very simple. As Sonic and Tails are running through the stage, rings will appear in front of you. You have to maneuver side to side to pick up as many rings as you can. In each bonus stage, there are three checkpoints. At each checkpoint, you have to have a certain number of rings in your possession. If you do, you advance to the next section of the bonus stage. If you don't, you are ejected from the bonus stage. The obvious draw here is getting rings to add to your overall score, but who the hell cares about points? The real prize is what you get for completing all three checkpoints. If you can do that, you'll be rewarded with a Chaos Emerald and all of its chaos-filled glory. These are the things that Robotnik wants to gather in order to solidify his plans for world domination, so we should make it our mission to gather all seven of them. The bonus stages are pretty fun, and since there are seven Chaos Emeralds, we'll be jumping into a lot of these if you want to make it your goal to collect all seven. The first few bonus stages are fairly easy, and there's plenty of rings to collect in order for you to make it through all the checkpoint goals. Movement side to side is pretty smooth, though it can be a little touchy at times. I personally found it easier to just tap the directional button in the direction I wanted to go instead of just hold it down outright. That subtly moved me in the direction that I wanted to go instead of holding my button down and watching Sonic go past the point I wanted him to go to. 
I feel like somewhere out there, someone has to be nodding at their car radio or nodding towards their phone going, Yup, I know exactly what you mean. Tails will also come with you into the bonus stage, and any rings he collects will be added to your total. But just like in the main portion of the game, Tails just mimics your movements. He isn't actually running around on his own. You'll want to keep this in mind as you go, especially in the later bonus stages. Eventually, you're going to start seeing black little mines placed in your path, and you will need to evade these at all costs. If you hit one, you'll lose some of the rings in your possession. Near the end of your quest to collect all of the Chaos Emeralds, one slip-up like this can cost you success. Computer-controlled tails will more than likely hit these mines, and that is okay for the most part. You just need to zero in and focus on you and what rings that you're collecting. So how many of you out there made it a point to collect all of the Chaos Emeralds? When I was a kid, depending on what I wanted out of my playtime, I would either ignore them completely or I would make it a point to collect them all as early as I possibly could. The layout of the bonus stages and where the rings appear is set, so if you did a bonus stage enough, you could start to commit to memory where you needed to be. And that is exactly what I did after a while. I would make it a point to meticulously collect 50 coins and hit all the star posts I could find in a single level. I don't know how early in the game you can collect all seven emeralds, but once I got good, I could collect them all before I finished the third zone. So what's the reward for collecting all seven emeralds? I'm sure most of us know, but if you can collect all seven Chaos Emeralds, you'll unlock the ability to turn into Super Sonic. At any point after collecting all the emeralds, if you have 50 or more rings in your possession and you press the jump button, Sonic will transform into Super Sonic. Sonic turns a golden yellow, and his speed is increased significantly. When Sonic gets up to top speed, he's not running anymore. He'll actually fly over the ground Superman style. Also, Sonic will be invincible, and he cannot be harmed by any badniks or traps. Basically, for spending the time to get good at the bonus stages and putting in the work, you're rewarded pretty significantly. It's also pretty awesome when you get to the end of a zone and you have to fight Dr. Robotnik. No matter what he tries, he won't be able to harm you, and you can just take your time destroying his smug ass. Video games have always been and will always be full of big moments of accomplishment, but few stand up to transforming into Super Sonic. When you jump up in the air and you watch Sonic transform, it's a culmination of all of your efforts personified. Even when I replayed the game last week, I had a shit-eating grin on my face when I transformed. If you've ever been there, you know the feeling. Now while Sonic has some pretty cool abilities that we have to earn through some intense work, there are some power-ups scattered around each zone that can give you a little taste of what's to come and help us along our journey. We talked about the shield power-up a little earlier, but there's a couple others out there in the world that we should keep our eyes out for. There's the Super Ring power-up, which gives you 10 rings all at once, which is pretty useful in its own right. There's also a 1-up power-up that, well, you guessed it, gives you an extra life. Another is an Invincibility power-up. When you get a hold of one of these, Sonic will be impervious to harm, but only for a short period of time. These were great for what they were, but I never remember getting a hold of one of these and blazing through a part of the level or anything because I had it. It was just nice to have. But my absolute favorite power-up was the Power Sneakers. When you get this power-up, Sonic's speed is increased dramatically. I loved being able to hit the ground running with these sneakers and watching the entire world fly by behind me. It was so cool, and again, the game never hiccuped at all when I was going this fast. My favorite was having super speed and going through those loop-de-loops at breakneck speeds. If transforming into supersonic gives you a shit-eating grin, blazing forward and power sneakers will give you a smirk at the very least. So it goes without saying that Sonic 2 is chock-full of personality and character. For me, though, we can't talk about personality and character without talking about some of the game's stages. Each one is practically alive in its own way with how it's presented and laid out. 
I don't think I really appreciated it until I was older, but the level design in Sonic 2 is top-notch with its layout and branching pathways. I want to say there are about 10 zones in Sonic 2, and each zone is divided into two acts, or sections. I don't want to run through them all, I just want to highlight the ones that I think are standouts. Well, they're all standouts, I guess it's just the ones that I want to talk about. I think it's fair to say that the majority of you listening remember the first area, the Emerald Hill Zone. Luscious green fields, blue sky, and sparkling ocean on the horizon. This is the level where I recall most of the secrets and hidden power-ups. It's the perfect introduction to the game and gives you a taste of pretty much everything the game has to offer. There are plenty of loop-de-loops, corkscrew paths, and springboards to fling yourself off of. Rings are plentiful, and the enemies you run across are very easy to defeat. Except maybe those monkeys in the trees. I feel like they'd get a cheap hit on me every now and then, but even those couldn't ruin the awesomeness that Emerald Hill was. I can't really put my finger on it, but this zone is just flat out relaxing. And the music in this zone is just the bee's knees, am I right? The next stage is a complete tonal shift, and whenever I got to it when I was a kid, I knew playtime was over and it was time to get down to business. I'm talking about the chemical plant zone. Gone were the green, fertile lands of Emerald Hill. Everything is now gray, metallic, and industrial. The music on offer here echoes the industrial nature of the plant and comes off a little menacing too. The chemical plant level was very intricate from what I remember, being a maze of ducts and pipeways. I always felt like it was very easy to get lost in. You're also going to face new enemies in this stage too. I remember these spider-like grabber enemies that would lower themselves down and grab you if you weren't careful enough. If they snagged you, they would hold you up for a moment before blowing up. Those things sucked. Oh, and those other enemies that would crawl on the floors and some of the walls? The instruction manual calls them spiny, and they would spit a single ball out to hit you. They always seemed to do this right as I was about to jump on top of them, doing damage to me instead. But what's worse than the enemies in this level had to be the water. In the second act, there's a point where the water will start to rise, and if you aren't quick or you lose your footing, Sonic will find himself underwater. When you're underwater, Sonic moves fairly slow when he'll never be able to move fast enough to run. Jumping is pretty slow too. If you happen to have a pair of power sneakers on, you can move pretty fast underwater though. Now, in case you didn't know this, hedgehogs cannot breathe underwater, so you need to get yourself out of the drink as quickly as you can. If your breath starts to run out, the game will let you know. I think we all remember how this went. Once you start to run out of breath, you'll have about 5 seconds to find air or its curtains. When the countdown appeared on screen and that music started to play, it was the stuff nightmares were made of. Haha, uh-huh, did that bring the fear and panic rushing back? My apologies if I just gave anyone out there anxiety. <laughs> As a kid, this was traumatic for me. Especially if you didn't make it and you have to watch Sonic perish. The next zone was probably my second favorite zone overall, personally. Zone 3 was the Aquatic Ruin Zone. It has the fertile greenery like the Emerald Hill Zone did, but it also has areas where you'll have to submerge yourself in water again. From my perspective, I felt like this zone has the most branching paths out of all the other zones. I'm sure that's not accurate, but that's kind of how it felt to me as a kid. In the first act, if you stay to the top of this level, you can avoid the water completely if you really wanted to. Now the water in this level isn't nearly as menacing as being submerged in the water in the chemical plant zone. Not only is the water much cleaner and you can see what's going on much more clearly, there are pockets of air bubbles that you can find that will allow you to take in a lungful of air and prevent Sonic from drowning. 
Now, this doesn't mean that this level is a cakewalk by any stretch. If you get lost or overwhelmed by multiple enemies that can float around in the water with you, you'll start to run out of breath and not be near a patch of bubbles. That is its own anxiety. Knowing that you're underwater with no chance to get to the surface in time and you're scrambling to find a bubble patch. What's worse than not finding one? Finding one, and then you have to stand there waiting for a big enough bubble to form because you can't get air from the little ones. Man, I think we've all been there. And geez, when I think back, I think this is why I've got a real-life fear of drowning. But anyway, this zone is still pretty awesome and well-designed. It got a little frustrating in some spots, though. While it looked very pretty on screen, there were patches of bushes and trees that would obscure your vision and the game loved to put enemies just out of sight behind these bushes. You could usually see them if you were going slow enough, but this is a Sonic game, you're generally not going to be going slow. Plus there were these arrow traps where, when you ran past them, an arrow would fly out towards you. You had to be careful because even if you ran past them, those arrows still might catch up to you if you stopped. Please tell me someone else out there got hit by one of these stray arrows by not paying attention. That would make me feel really good about myself. <laughs> if I went out and did a poll and asked everyone what their favorite Sonic 2 level was, I'd be genuinely curious. For me, the answer to that question would be the Casino Night Zone. This level is almost like walking down the Las Vegas Strip for those of you that have had the pleasure of doing that. In the background of the zone is a very large, sprawling cityscape, and everything is lit up with beautiful lights. I always like the design of this zone. When you're in the Casino Night Zone, it's almost as if parts of the stage are modeled after a huge pinball machine. There's parts where you can launch Sonic at high speeds using an old-fashioned pinball spring. Hold your button down longer to pull the spring back even further. Let off the button and watch Sonic go flying. There's even the standard pinball levers, or flippers, or whatever you want to call them. Those are the little thingies at the bottom of any pinball table that makes the ball go up. If Sonic lands on one, he'll turn into a ball, and when you press a button on your controller, the lever will fly up and fling Sonic up and away. You also have your classic pinball bumpers and targets to hit for points, but what I love the most were the slot machines that you could find scattered across the zone. If you could get Sonic into the activator, he'll spin in place while three slots spin and images will line up. If you match three of an image together, or sometimes other combinations, you'll be rewarded with rings. If you hit the jackpot, you'll get over a hundred rings. The one thing you don't want to happen though is have three images of Dr. Robotnik line up. If that happens, you'll lose rings. I used to stop and play the slot machine over and over. Here's a fun fact, did you know that you have 10 minutes to complete an act? The timer only ever goes up on screen, but if you hit that 10 minute mark, you'll actually lose a life. I know this because I used to play until I got to the casino night zone and just played the slot machine over and over again to see how high a ring count I could get. Please tell me I wasn't the only child who did this. I mean, I know Sonic has a mission to save his animal friends and defeat Robotnik, but fuck them, they can wait a little longer while I give the old slot machine another spin, right? There's one more pretty cool zone that I wanted to talk about. At certain points in some video games, you'll come across parts that force you to change up how you've been playing. This could be done as a way to challenge you as a player, make you think outside the box, and change up the gameplay loop in a fun and interesting way. In my opinion, the Mystic Cave Zone fits that bill almost perfectly. Up to this point in the game, you've probably gotten yourself into a rhythm. You're comfortable with the controls, and you're feeling pretty confident. Most of the time, you're doing what Sonic does best. You are going fast. But then, you enter the Mystic Cave. This zone doesn't necessarily take the habits that you formed and what you've learned and throw them out the window, but it does make you hit the brakes a little bit. You see, the Mystic Cave Zone is pretty massive, having a pretty decent amount of branching paths to explore as you make your way through to the end of each act. What jolts you out of the comfort zone, though, is how you'll need to take a more methodical approach through this area. The caves are lined with falling rocks, spiked chains that swing back and forth, 
collapsible bridges, levers you have to pull to open new passageways, even a couple of pits lined with spikes. While you have some spots where you can really get your speed on, you really want to take your time through this area. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to tiptoe or anything, just that you want to look before you leap more than you probably have been up to this point. And truth be told, I absolutely love this approach when it came to how you tackle the zone. Plus, as you're hearing right now, the music fits perfectly and gives off a very haunting vibe. The atmosphere is a little dark and almost a little creepy. I enjoyed finding new pathways to go down by finding a hidden lever to pull or by rushing over a bridge that I knew was going to collapse underneath me. It was really a fun time. A couple dishonorable mentions when it comes to levels. Now just to be clear, these are just my opinions. If I'm about to shit on one of your absolute favorite levels in Sonic 2, you have my apologies. These are just a couple of levels that just didn't do it for me personally. Let's talk about the Oil Ocean Zone. This zone takes place on what I assume is an oil platform in the middle of the ocean. The sky is orange and the whole zone almost gives off a desert vibe to me. One strength I'll highlight is that the zone itself is pretty vast. There's a lot of ways to progress towards the end, and if I had to guess, I think Oil Ocean is probably the biggest zone in the whole game. At least it always felt that way to me. Where the size and structure can be a strength from an exploration and replay standpoint, it was the only zone that I think I actually got myself lost in. Sometimes I'd even find myself back towards the start. Now this may not be due to the level's design or anything, it's probably just due to the fact that I suck at video games sometimes, but I really found it annoying. No other zone overstayed its welcome more than Oil Ocean did for me. Although I will say, I appreciated the fact that all the oil in the ocean made up a pretty cool safety net if I were to fall off an edge. I would need to jump up and out of it quickly or I'd die, and it was a nice little touch. And the music in this zone didn't really do it for me either. Let me go ahead and turn that off while we're talking about it. Alright, there we go. One more stage I wanted to poke at a little bit was the Sky Chase Zone. This zone is near the end of the game, and it has Sonic standing on top of a biplane piloted by Tails. This is a stage where the screen is constantly moving to the right, and when you move Sonic around, Tails will automatically move the plane that's underneath him to make it as if Sonic was on solid ground. It's a pretty chill stage, and the music that plays here too is pretty cool, I must say. But dare I say, I think this level is a little too bland. There's no real platforming, really, and the zone itself is exceptionally easy. It also doesn't have a boss encounter with Robotnik at the end of it either, so minus points for that. It was a unique stage and I think an alright addition, but I think the developers wanted to replicate that let's change up the formula a little bit approach with this stage. However, where Mystic Cave Zone pulls it off by still offering a consistent challenge to the player, Sky Chase just neuters everything about Sonic up to this point. But I can also argue that given everything that we've been through to get to this point, a bit of a break is a good thing and I'm probably complaining about nothing. I'll let you decide. The final zone that Sonic must venture to is the Death Egg Zone, or the Not Death Star Zone. For any of you gamers that have gotten this far, you know how tough this final zone can be. In this zone, you have to fight not one, but two boss battles, but the real kicker is the state that you find yourself in. You enter the Death Egg with no rings, and there are zero rings to be found in the entire stage. This of course means two very important things. First, you only get one chance to make it through. You can't be touched, you can't be scratched, and you can't allow yourself to be sneezed on. One screw up, and it's back to the beginning. The second thing might be a little harsher. If you've taken the time to collect all of the Chaos Emeralds up to this point and you've been laying waste to the entire game as a result, you're going to have to be okay with the fact that you'll need to beat the game without them. You need 50 rings to activate your supersonic powers and well, I'm not a math expert, but zero rings held plus zero rings to be found equals... Well, it equals out to you being fucked, is what that equals out to. 
Now, as a kid, this irritated me quite a bit. As an adult, I really had an appreciation for this. The game rewards you for going off the path and you're rewarded handsomely in the form of Supersonic. However, to be able to say that you beat the game, you have to do it on your own merit. As harsh as it sounds, I can respect a game for that. Now, the final bosses aren't really anything all that tough. First up is a robot version of Sonic. He's pretty easy to beat, you just have to make sure to spin jump on his face and not hit the spikes that are on the back of his head. He likes to roll up into a ball just like Sonic does, and he'll fling himself towards you. That's as simple as jumping over him, but be careful. Every now and then he may jump into the air, so you may think you're about to hurtle over Robot Sonic, but instead, you just sealed your doom by putting yourself in his path. I still remember that feeling I had when this happened to me. All I could do was slowly shake my head as I was whisked back to the beginning of the level. You slimy piece of shit, I would mutter to myself. Yes, I would let out the swears when my dad wasn't around, and I'm sure you all did too when your parents weren't in the room, so don't give me any of that. Now, if you beat Metal Sonic, it would be off to face Dr. Robotnik in his Death Egg Robot. While the robot moves slowly, it has to be hit on the stomach in a very specific spot to be damaged. And even though the robot takes its time and telegraphs its moves somewhat obviously, it's a very aggressive beast. It's going to launch spiked fists at you and try to drop right on top of you. But if you take your time, learn its pattern, and trust your hedgehog instincts, you can see this fight through to the end. Sonic 2 is a near-perfect platformer, and even after finishing the game for the first time, all I wanted to do with my time when I was a kid was play through the game again and again. The nice thing about replaying the game is that there were some different things that you could do. First up, and something I'm finding some people surprisingly don't know about offhand, is that you can select in the options menu to play as Sonic and leave Tails on the sideline, or you can decide to play as just Tails. I always thought that this was interesting to mess around with. If you play as Tails, there's really no difference in the way that he controls versus Sonic, though. Plus, the ending of the game is pretty much the same, too. Though, I did find out that if you collect all the Chaos Emeralds as Tails, you can't change into Super Tails, so that sort of defeats the whole purpose of collecting them all, so that kind of sucked. Man, now that I think about it out loud, playing as just Tails really wasn't all that rewarding at all. And speaking of things that suck, I never was a huge fan of Tails as a character, either. Now, in full disclosure, I have only ever played two Sonic the Hedgehog titles in my life. Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and Sonic Spinball. All I have to base my dislike of Tails off of are these two games. Maybe he's grown as a character, or maybe he's had some interesting part of Sonic lure attached to him, but in Sonic 2, he annoyed the hell out of me, and I never really knew why. I think what started it all was when I would be in a bonus stage with computer-controlled Tails, and he would hit one too many mines, causing me to lose enough rings for me to fail the stage. I mean, it's not like Tails did his own thing or anything, he just copied my controller inputs to the letter. I jump, he jumps. I duck, he ducks. So when I found out that there was a way to make him go away completely in the options menu, I tended to remove him more times than I actually played with him. <laughs> I remember one time I was in the Mystic Cave Zone, and I got a hold of an invincibility power-up. I would stand on top of some spikes, and I would make Tails stand on top of them with me and watch him get dealt damage over and over again. Is that wrong of me? I feel like that's a pretty normal thing to do. But anyway, now putting aside my disdain for Tails, there was something really cool about him being in the game. If you had another controller, a second player can control Tails when you're playing through the main game. That was a pretty cool feature. The camera would still focus on and follow Sonic, you know, because he's the main character and all, but you can work through a game with a friend or a sibling. The best part is that Tails can't die, either. This right here makes Sonic 2 the best game ever to play with a younger brother or sister. Just let your younger sibling play as Tails, and they can contribute without screwing the game up. It's awesome. I used to play this mode every once in a while with my cousin here and there. 
With couch co-op becoming less and less prominent these days, it makes for a nice addition if you're able to play this game today. Speaking of couch co-op, Sonic 2 sports a two-player split-screen mode where you and a pal can go head-to-head -head against each other in three zones in a race to the finish. In order to win the day, though, it wasn't just about finishing the stage the fastest. You were graded in five different areas. Your total score, how fast you cleared the area, how many rings you have on hand at the end of the area, how many rings you collected in total, and how many item boxes you opened. This created some tense battles, as you had to decide what you wanted to focus on and make sure you excelled in those areas. One of my favorite additions to this mode was the new teleport system. When you play two-player mode, there are item boxes scattered around, but you don't know what's inside them until you crack them open. All the items we already know are present and accounted for, but the teleport item is arguably a game-changer if you can get your hands on it. Once activated, it will swap yours and your opponent's position on the playing field. It can be an amazing find if you're falling too far behind in the level, or it can be a disaster if you're about to finish the zone and you get sent back further while your opponent gets the advantage. There's also an option that you can select before initiating the game where you can make the item boxes only have the teleport item in them. This can create some pretty chaotic battles as you're constantly flipping back and forth all over the field. <laughs> when I used to play teleporters only when I was a kid, I would find an item box early on and just hover around it while I gathered rings and racked up points. As soon as my cousin or whoever I was playing against would get to the end of the level, I would hit the teleporter, swap places with them, and watch as they would have to make up all that ground while I smiled like the little shit that I was. Ah, good times. Come to think of it, this was the very first game where I was guilty of screen looking. And boy, did the screen looking not go over well when I was caught doing it. I usually would get caught with a swift elbow to the ribs, but it never really bothered me. I just wanted to win. While the multiplayer aspect was a fantastic addition to the Sonic 2 experience, I have to knock it for its performance issues when you're playing this mode. While I can certainly appreciate software limitations and all that for the time, especially from a console that is this old, I would experience very frequent slowdowns when playing on split screen. Everything was just squished down so much, and when too many things got on screen at once, things would slow down considerably. Most of the time it wasn't too bad, and back in the day you just kind of dealt with it. But sometimes it was so bad, all you could do was roll your eyes and wait patiently for the game to catch up with itself. The worst this ever happened to me was when me and my cousin both had over 50 rings each, and we both lost them at the same time. With all the rings flying, the enemies on screen, their projectiles floating around, and a power box flickering, I thought our genesis was going to burst into flames. Still, I think all things considered, I can look at this as a minor gripe. For me, it was well worth dealing with so long as I was able to play with somebody else. I wasn't much of a competitive gamer then, and I'm certainly not a competitive gamer now, but I love being able to play video games with other people, especially people sitting next to me. And while I never got along with any of my cousins all the time, when we were playing games together, all of our petty arguments and nonsense didn't matter. All that mattered was enjoying something as simple as a game. I think that's what I love about Sonic 2 the most. So, when you wrap it all up, Sonic 2 was and continues to remain a must-play video game. It's hard not to look at through those pink-tinted nostalgia glasses, but there aren't many games out there that you can jump in, have a good time with, and put down for a little while. Sonic 2 never overstays its welcome, and it's a game that just about everybody can pick up and play. With its beautiful visual presentation, top-notch soundtrack, and addictive gameplay, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 will always have a soft spot in my fat heart, and it will be a game I'll never get tired of going back to. Anytime I get that itch to go fast, or that need for some serious speed, I reach out for this game. 350 rings, 7 bonus stages, and 7 chaos emeralds later, 
All my limits are shattered, and the only limits I have at that point are the limits of my own imagination. Anytime I think about this game, or anytime I play this game, my mind goes back to a simpler time in my life where my only worries were how fast I could go, and how cool I could look while I did it. was episode 16 of the Retro Wildlands, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 for the Sega Genesis. Thank you very much for taking some time and listening to the show today. I really enjoyed having you here. I hope taking a trip down Nostalgia Lane with Sonic and Tails sparked some good memories, maybe a fun story, or just generated some general good vibes for you today. While roaming the gaming wildlands, I love coming across new and exciting experiences and seeing a familiar face here and there. But games like Sonic 2 are like long-lost friends that show up in unexpected places. Like when you're at the store and in the checkout aisle next to you, you notice a buddy that you went to school with and you haven't seen them since graduation. You come together, you say hi, you share some good stories, but ultimately you do have to part ways. But they're never really gone. They are out there, and they're living their best lives. And that's exactly what Sonic 2 is for me. If you like the show, please consider following or subscribing to it on the podcasting platform you use the most. This way you'll be notified as soon as new episodes go live. Taking it a step further, if you enjoyed the show and you want to show it and myself some direct support, please leave a good review on your preferred podcasting platform if it's something that your platform allows you to do. Good reviews will help circulate the podcast, and it would absolutely mean the world to me if you liked the show enough that you'd give us a little bit of your time and submit a good review on your preferred podcasting platform. But far and away, the best way to support the show and help it grow is to spread the word about the Retro Wildlands. If you have any gamer friends, co-workers, or even anyone passively into podcast, tell them about the Retro Wildlands and how mesmerizing Nomad's Italian voice is. Mm, yes. Every week we grow just a little bit more and more. We are certainly not contenders here in the podcasting space, but knowing our podcast is being heard by just one more person each day is still pretty awesome to think about. Another way you can spread the word about the show or interact with it would be on social media. We have a presence over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you search at Retro Wildlands. Each day I'm trying to add new and hopefully interesting content, so if you wanted to spice up your feeds and timelines with gaming goodness and potentially a cute photo of Didi, our expedition leader, please throw us a follow. You'll be able to check out what games are coming down the pipeline ahead of time and other content that I whip together. I think the most fun I've been having is putting together those quick video clips I have out there that showcase some gameplay for the game that I'll be covering on the next episode. I've really enjoyed gathering up gameplay footage and making a montage out of it. If that's something that you've been enjoying, want to see more of, or have another idea in mind, please feel free to let me know. Plus, be on the lookout over the weekends. I'm going to continue to put a call out to anyone who wants to have their comments or questions read during the show's intro, so follow us on social to jump on that opportunity if that's something that interests you. So what's coming up next week? Like I mentioned in the intro to this week's episode, I'm heading to Columbus tomorrow for the Torg Gaming Expo in Columbus, Ohio. It's my very first ever gaming event, and I am hella stoked to see what my wife and I can get ourselves into. While we're partaking in some of the events, I'll be on the lookout for any games on my personal wish list. So while we're poking around some of the tournament gameplay, visiting some historical exhibits, and chatting it up with some of the convention guests, I'll be on the hunt this weekend. 
Follow us over on social media. I'm going to try my best to post pictures and videos of our experience and share some of the cool things that I come across. I'm just really excited to nerd out for an entire day, and I'm super grateful my wife is willing to come along for the ride. It really should be a good time. As far as what's coming up next week on the podcast itself, it's still kind of a toss-up. Super Mario World and Mega Man 2 are a couple that I've been thinking about lately, but I want to go back and refresh myself on them before I whip up episodes of the show on them. I mean, I could probably run with Super Mario World right now because I've played that game so much it's forever etched in my memory, but Mega Man 2 is a new game for me personally. I guess I'm just waiting to see which direction my heart goes. It's very possible it passes both of these up, and I find a new-to-me game over the weekend, and it becomes next week's episode. Who knows? That's the joy of roaming the wildlands, my friends. Anything can and usually does happen out there. Regardless of what happens next week, be sure to join us over on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I'll be posting about the next game in the coming days if you don't want to wait until next Thursday. I'm looking forward to seeing you all over there and catching up with you all next week. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad, and you can find me roaming the retro wildlands. (laughs) 